702 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Uh, this is an understatement, but there's a lot going on in the National Basketball Association right now. We actually had not breaking news, but news that is very pertinent to us locally. Our native son, Kamloops' very own Kelly Olenek, is on the move this morning. Woj reporting that a deal is in place for Kelly Olenek to go to the Utah Jazz. That's just this morning. Last night, there was the Ime Udoka scandal that broke. The Boston Celtics head coach is uh, facing suspension. For indiscretions and breaking team policy with regards to uh, an alleged and reported um, intimate yet consensual relationship with a Celtic staffer. There's that. Then the big news prior to that was that Robert Sarver, the embattled owner of the Phoenix Suns, is now going to sell the team. So there's a lot going on. Uh, We thought we should try and dive into a few of these stories. Joining us now Happy to have him on the program. Oh, wait, we've lost the call. Anyway, his name is Michael Vorkanov. He is a national basketball business reporter with The Athletic. We apparently just lost contact, connection with him. We'll get him back shortly. But there's a lot going on in the association right now, Jason. He heard one minute of you. He's like, I don't want any part of this. He's like, damn, there's a lot going on right now. Click. Um, The Sarver thing we talked about right off the hop. So if you missed it, you have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, Robert Sarver recently was suspended for a year and fined $10 million after he was involved in, quote, instances of inequitable conduct towards female employees, sex-related comments, and inappropriate comments and employees' appearances. He was also alleged to have made racist remarks throughout his ownership tenure of the Suns, which began, began way back when in 2004. He used the N-word a bunch. Yes. Is what is what he did. And although I believe the findings noted that he didn't use them in like a, I don't know. You just repeated the word, I think, mm-hmm. is, is what he did as opposed to calling someone the N-word. or You, you, you know the distinction. I'm sure you've heard yes. this distinction. It's It's been brought up uh, multiple times before. Uh, but after that suspension and fine was announced, there was a lot of pushback from obviously fans, but also some players saying, yeah, that's not enough. And the pushback continued. PayPal, who is the club's jersey patch sponsor, threatened to pull out from their sponsorship agreement if Sarver remained on board. Also, one of the Suns' minority owners, but the second largest stakeholder, publicly called on Sarver to resign. So there's pressure coming from everywhere, right? So we've got Michael back on the line now. Let's go to it live. Again, basketball business reporter from The Athletic, Michael uh, Vorkanoff, joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. There's a lot going on in the association right now, but we're going to start with the Robert Sarver news yesterday. Uh, there was a lot to unpack here. There was the the public statement that he released announcing that he was going to sell the team. <laughs> Who's the real victim here? Right. There was all that that entire <laughs> angle to the thing. There was the actual business angle of this, which is the Suns are valued sky high like so many NBA franchises, so he stands to make a fair amount of money off this sale. And then I guess the big question hanging out there is, who would buy the team? Do you have any answers to that one, Michael? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a little early probably on that one. I, I 
feel like there will be no shortage of people who have interest. As you guys said, um, you know, there's a lot of people that want to own NBA teams at this point right now. Uh, and there's also a lot of multi-billionaires out there. So it's a, it's a good situation for the NBA, uh, and it probably will work out pretty well financially for Robert Sarver. What did you think of the statement that Sarver released? Uh, well, you know, I couldn't get over the, the one line there where, you know, he said, but in our current unforgiving climate, it's become painfully clear that, uh, you know, it's no longer possible for him to, I guess, repent and atone, so to speak, uh, I think were the words he used. You know, there's, I think, a claim of victimhood there. Uh, and it seems like all along, ever since the original ESPN report came out last November, um, there's been an unwillingness to fully acknowledge what he did. If you read through the report, he mm -hmm. disputed some of the findings um, that the investigators came to as well, uh, and which the investigators also noted in the report that, you know, that they said they didn't believe his reasoning on one or two things in there and believe the, the witnesses uh, that they spoke to. So I, I think that's kind of been a, um, you know, simmering persistent theme uh, throughout the last uh, few months, uh, what, 10 months now. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, for the listeners that might not understand the history here, Sarver bought both the NBA and WNBA franchises in 2004 for $400 million. So one, he's made uh, a ton of return on his investment. But the other important thing to note here is that Yes, the allegations in this investigation were ugly and unseemly, but it's not like the rest of his ownership tenure in Phoenix has been super rosy. He's been criticized as an owner almost from the get. Can you kind of chronologically lay out all the issues that Sarver's had during his tenure as an owner in Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, there, there have been many. I think one of the persistent uh, complaints about him as an owner has been kind of his unwillingness to spend. Um, I think that's been a persistent uh, issue for the Suns over the course of his 18 years as owner. You know, there's been uh, complaints of kind of meddling on his behalf. I think there was an ESPN story like 2017 that he put goats in the front in the uh, office of his general manager. Um, and that's kind of the mild stuff. Right. And then obviously uh, what the NBA investigation uncovered. Uh, is obviously the more serious stuff with the use of racist language, you know, discriminatory actions towards women, uh, all these things that piled up in, you know, what was a 36-page report uh, and ultimately, you know, got the Suns and Sarver to this place. We're speaking to Michael Vorkanoff, uh, national basketball business reporter for The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, this is not the first instance of an owner of an NBA team coming under fire and ultimately having to relinquish ownership of the team. It happened with Donald Sterling with the Clippers earlier. Um, I, I, I know that there have been a lot of investigations into the executive level, the ownership level across the NBA. There was the Dallas Mavericks as well come to mind. We had a similar instance in the National Hockey League, but it more pertained to coaches where there was this investigation into a lot of different ones about personal conduct and everything. And now we're seeing the Ime Odoka situation in Boston. Is it now become like one of um, Adam Silver's main priorities to dig into all of these uh, organizations and these front offices and coaching staffs and make sure that none of these improprieties are happening? Because it seems like there's a lot of them going on at times. Well, there does seem to be a few things going on at once. I wouldn't think, I don't think it's, it's fair to say it's an Adam Silver priority. You know, the Sun situation was uncovered by media reporting, the, um, the Maverick situation was uncovered by reporting, you know, the Donald Sterling stuff was a, a TMZ story, right? 
So it is coming from external places that the league then needs to react to. Um, you know, I, I asked Silver at the press conference he had last week, did the NBA know anything about Sauber's behavior uh, before the ESPN story and, you know, before this investigation? They said no. So it wasn't like the league was looking for it. Uh, the league continuously seems to get placed now in a position where they have to respond appropriately when there are stories come up that do document what's going on in several of the teams across the league. We're speaking with a basketball business reporter from The Athletic, Mike Vorkanov. Uh, Mike, while we got you, when do you think the NBA is going to expand? When is the announcement <laughs> going to become becoming? Because obviously um, we're here in Vancouver. Uh, a, a lot of us who are old enough re- remember the Sonics, barely remember the Grizzlies, but we remember the Sonics. Uh, and we're wondering when that city is going to get them back. Uh, wow, that's a great question. I wish I knew I had a, uh, and I had a perfect answer for you. Um, and people seem to think uh, it might be at some point this decade. You know, there are a number of different deadlines coming up first, right? You have the CBA negotiations that are ongoing, and both uh, the MBPA and the NBA can opt out by December 15th. Um, and, and I assume before you can get to expansion, you want to have a new CBA in place. There's a media rights deal, uh, which run out at the end of the 24-25 season. And from the people that I've spoken to, they believe that if expansion were to happen, um, it'll happen after a media rights deal, uh, just the sequencing of that, right? Um, after that, you know, I, I think, you know, I, if I had to guess it, if it were to happen, it would come after 2025. I, I think Adam Silver, the way he has answered questions, and he always answers it very carefully, uh, he said the expansion is not happening right now, uh, which is, you know, seems to be putting a lot of work on uh, right now. So. I would guess, you know, if it were to happen sometime after 2025 is when uh, things really get rolling. What is the state of media rights in general right now? Like, what could the NBA be looking at? Could they be looking at a a huge uh, influx of money compared to what they have now? Or was there a bit of a bubble when it came to media rights? Could there be more players like Amazon and Apple or YouTube? I mean, that it seems to me that that could be a very interesting media rights deal to negotiate. Yeah, I mean, I, by all and you know indications, there's been no slowdown in terms of like uh, you know networks like ESPN and TNT um, trying to acquire the media rights for professional sports leagues. It's it's only gone up. You saw the MLS signed a media rights deal with Apple that was. I think two and a half times uh, what they had been getting previously. Uh, the NFL went up to $11 billion per year, right? Uh, in terms of their last media rights deal. Um, I, I think, you know, the expectation, according again to the to people I've spoken with, is that the NBA could double uh, what they're currently getting. They signed, I think, a nine-year, $24 billion contract that started in 20. Uh, 16, and so they could double what they're getting annually, maybe even two and a half times that. Um, you know, you still have ESPN, you still have TNT, but now you have an Apple or an Amazon, I don't know, maybe a Netflix, which just seems like it's trying to get in mm-hmm. to the sports uh, field as well. And, you know, basically the league then has to decide what are their main partners, what other packages can they sell off, uh, what other properties can they sell the media rights to. And it's a great position for them to be in. I think Adam Silver talks about it repeatedly when he has press conferences, how he goes uh, to places and he's the bell of the ball or something along those lines uh, when it comes to media rights. So I think they feel like they're in a good spot. The market would certainly indicate that they're in a good spot. And I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, more than double their 
their current annual media rights deal. Another big development for the National Basketball Association over the past week or so is that the league and the players union are expected to agree on moving the age age eligibility for the draft from 19 to 18 years old. Now that's important because it kind of ruins the theory or the idea, the concept that guys have to go one and done to college. And it does return the guys who want to make the leap right from high school to the NBA. My question first was why did they decide to go this route, the NBA and the NBA Players Association? It's something that Adam Silver's been talking about for a few years. Uh, You know, the NBPA seems to support it as well. And I think it's just getting talent earlier into the league, Um, not relying as much on colleges to develop them, but also being able to create stars earlier. You know, you saw that a little bit with them expanding the G League program, bringing in the G League Ignite a few years ago, where they attracted, you know, some of the best uh, recruits coming out of high school to go into the G League instead of going to college. This year they have uh, Scoot Henderson, who might be the number two overall pick in the 2023 draft. He's he, he will have played two years in the G League before he comes to the NBA. You saw that with Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga, right? Uh, and so I think it's just a, br- a way to bring in talent earlier into the league and a way to develop it and for them to try to build stars. And uh, I think more talent is, also, is always beneficial for the league. And, you know, uh, if you want to be a little bit cynical – um, if you're expanding, you're going to need more talent to uh, disperse yeah. around 32 rosters instead of 30, right? Fair enough. Uh, Mike, thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Great insight. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks. That's Michael Vorkanoff, National Be- Basketball Business Reporter from The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. As we were going away and ending the conversation with Mike, we got more news out of the National Basketball Association. So we talked earlier in the show, and we introduced this story, which really broke late overnight. Ime Udoka, head coach of the Boston Celtics, the reigning Eastern Conference champions, a team that is supposed to contend for an NBA title this year, one of the traditionally historic franchises in the NBA. So Udoka's got a very high-profile job. It doesn't sound like he's going to be serving that job, that role, that title much longer. Uh, Udoka, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, is going to be suspended for his role in a consensual relationship with a female staff member on the Celtics. He is also expected to miss the entire season to suspension. That is a massive, massive bit of news coming from Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN. It sounds sordid to say this, but I want to hear more details on this. Well, more details are going to come out because this story is probably less than 12 hours old, Mm -hmm. and it went from a very nebulous report from Woj at the start, which was there's been some breach of internal franchise um, policy. And then later it was figured out what that was. And now we're starting to figure out what the punishment is going to be. That'll happen in the span of 12 hours. So details are coming out. Uh, I imagine that the Celtics, uh, I don't think Udoka will be facing the media today, but I got a feeling someone from the Celtics, maybe Brad Stevens, will have to be speaking publicly. But that is a very big development out of the National Basketball Association on a day where so many big things had happened and in a week where so many big developments have happened. Uh, there's a lot going on with the NBA, so I'm glad we were able to touch on it there. So um, Mike, our guest, was talking about uh, the next NBA rights deal. Mm-hmm. I wanted to throw this out to you guys. How many subscriptions do you have? Because... These things are just like, we all know what it's like to watch soccer 
in Canada. If you're a big fan of soccer, you want to watch the Premier League, you want to watch the Champions League, mm. you know, you, you want to watch uh, the Whitecaps, or you want, uh, you know, in you want to watch the, the the Canadian national team. There's all sorts of subscriptions that you need. Mm-hmm. How many do you have, and how do you manage them? Do you like have a cap on the number of subscriptions that you have? No, um, I have for sports alone. I have DAZN. Um, yeah. Fubo. Which, so DAZN, so tell, tell us why. DAZN is for, this is how it's all divvied up now. If I if For the soccer aspect, yeah. Champions League. Okay. DAZN also has terrific NFL access and, and coverage. Right. Every game, red zone, it's all there, mm-hmm. right? So DAZN is one of those ones where I'm like, okay, um, I'll pay you what you're worth. You know, if you raise the price, okay. Yeah. Maybe they I'll. Got they yeah, got, they yeah, got I'll you. Yeah, yeah. If we go to negotiate, negotiations, I'll give you the money. Uh, the the rotten thing about DAZN is that originally, remember when they signed Canelo to that deal? And it was like, oh, the Canelo fights are going to be on DAZN. Well, they're all right. pay-per-views now, right? The Triple G fight on the weekend was sixty four ninety nine. I heard it was really worth it. Right. Like, that's that's it's a disaster when you have to subscribe for something. And then within that subscription, you're paying more on top for individual <laughs> events. You need it, though, if you want to follow those two things. Uh, Fubo is now the home of the English Premier League, yeah. the Barclays Premier League. And so if you want to follow that, you got one option. Mm-hmm. That is Fubo. Fubo also carries Serie A, French League. It's it, Basically, if you're really into European football, you need that one. Um, and then if you go down the list, s- streaming subscriptions that I have that don't necessarily pertain to live sports watching. Yeah, it doesn't have to be sports, buddy. There's more to life than sports. Do you have, like, do you have... Uh, Netflix. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. So Netflix, Netflix Prime, Crave. Yeah. I don't... I, yeah, I no Disney Plus? I do have Disney Plus. Yeah, Disney I mean, Plus as well. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's that's for the kid more mostly. What sure. about uh, what do you have Spotify? Yeah. No, you don't have really? Spotify. No, that's yeah. where I drew. I line. have I have YouTube Premium. I did. I had that for a bit and I got rid of it. I just didn't see the point. I actually liked the music oh, okay. on YouTube. Uh, I thought it was just as good as Spotify. Plus, you lose the ad ex- all the ads on YouTube. It's like twenty bucks a month. So I got rid of Spotify and replaced that with YouTube. So I don't have I li- either of those. I-, I like to have like a- I like to have a cap on the subscriptions though yeah. because I find they can really add oh, up. I-, I don't I don't I don't want any more. Like four, I have four major ones, not including supposed five. I guess with Spotify, and that that's enough for me. Like, well, I guess I what? Need- I don't need any more. I bet you'll end up getting more. Probably. It feels like that's the way it might be going. Do you have traditional cable? I do. Okay. Yeah. See, that's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I do too. Yeah. yeah. But I, I trimmed the fat on that one. I trimmed the landline. <laughs> landline. No more, no more landline. Yeah. I almost want. I haven't had a landline for a long I time. I almost. Well, I've got I got a rotary ha- phone, but it's not hooked up. Yeah, I have one. I do have a rotary phone as well. My dad used to work for BC Tel, so he's got a bunch of antique phones <laughs> that still work. They're totally functional. But um, I don't. I, it's weird because I, I want to have the mentality you have where it's like there's a limit, right? Hard cap. Yeah. Can't go over the hard cap. Yeah, there's no luxury tax, right? We can't put things on LTIR, although you can put zone on LTIR. Yeah, you can actually you, put those stream. I actually do like that, that you can just cancel by the month. Yeah, that's the right? benefit of it. I, yeah. I saw a tweet going around where a guy like added up his cable subscription, and then next to it added up the cost of all of the streaming services readily available to you, and it was like double the cost of what cable is if you were to be one of those people that just streamed everything yeah before streaming bring was like, back the monopolies yeah streaming's great it's so much cheaper than cable well no, not anymore Text you, guys are, you guys are failing the uh the company here by not mentioning our streaming service. sports that now mm-hmm. yeah well, i've got that too you should probably plug that in this whole conversation here's a text in <laughs> you guys are nothing but lemmings pushing this crap and now you're saying you have too much of it so what is it are you supporting it 
or not, it's all garbage. <laughs> I hope that was, was voice that? to text and just a <laughs> lunatic. I didn't even read it wrong. Um, I, you know, I, I understand uh, when we put something out there, that, the, and it's it's kind of a, a natural, unfortunately, human reaction now, is to not take a conversation at face value, but to be like, what's the real story here? What's really going on what behind this? What are you guys this? getting at? Yeah, what are you guys pushing Who's telling you to say this? How much of the deep state and the lizard people are conducting this? Smoke. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Sportsnet now. Right. So <laughs> the answer is all Sportsnet and Rogers products. Smoke. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, if anything, I thought that comfort, maybe it's the way that I, we're not framing. But if anything, I, I would say that that conversation highlights an issue that a lot of people are going to have moving forward. In an age of inflation where the prices of everything are escalating, we now exist in a world where a lot of rights holders are like, well, wait a minute, rather than offer all our product to one broadcast company or network entity, maybe we should chop it up and start selling it off. Yeah. And now what you're going to see, and I do think that, you know, the NFL was kind of the flag bearer for this when they started to realize that, well, we can give some of our content to NBC. We can give some of our content to CBS. Mm -hmm. And then if we create these primetime nights, Sunday, Monday, and Thursday, we can also sell those off as well. Then the digital streaming companies got on board. And all of a sudden it was like, well, wait a minute. We don't need to go to the major networks for this. Amazon wants in the game with the Amazon Prime. And, you know, look at the way that the Premier League rights have changed in Canada alone. Yeah. It used to be on traditional. Remember you had a buddy that said, I can't believe the access that you guys have on traditional cable. He was a guy from England. He said, you guys have better soccer coverage and cheaper soccer coverage than I do in England. Guess what happened there? <laughs> Someone realized that there was more money to be made and it gets divvied up and it gets chopped up. I mean, realistically, um, you could see all of the big four sports leagues in North America start to look at this and say, how much can we divvy this up? Mm -hmm. And and for example, uh, the NHL, and I know the, the Sportsnet and Rogers are obviously at the forefront of this, but the reality is, is that moving forward, every league could chop it up to be like Wednesday night hockey or Friday night hockey or Saturday night hockey. That becomes a primetime package that we're going to farm out to somebody else. This, he's back. Go ahead. Call me a lunatic, but you guys are absolute morons and suckers. Enjoy your subscriptions. Okay. Okay. I'm not enjoying them that much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> they cost a bunch of money. I would love it if it was in the, like, just give me a traditional cable package. There Can are, I, of course, alternative methods, but yeah. we can't speak of You know what? Here. I feel like I'm too old for those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. I just don't know how. We're gonna I get used caught. To, there was a yeah. period. Of my, there was a period of my life where I had no money, and that was yeah. my primary source of <laughs> yeah. payment. Like, like I used to do LimeWire. Was that was that one <laughs> the one? Yeah. Like Kazam? I just yeah, like Ruff I, tried it once. I, and got thirty viruses on his computer. Yeah, like never again. knock on my door. Like <laughs> you're coming with me. Like, what? We, know what you, we know what you're doing there, son. Two guys in trench coats. It's like, damn, it's the cable police. I had goons. <laughs> Metallica's <laughs> gonna show up at your door. I knew. Yeah, Metallica will be there. But yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm more just trying to get my head around what I think is going to happen next. Yeah. Is I, I don't think that this, this whole streaming thing is going away, but I also think that uh, for the longest time, we consumed all of our sports through the most traditional measures imaginable. Yeah. There was the big networks and that's who conducted the business. That's who got the seat, the big seat at the table. Mm -hmm. That's who you negotiated with. I mean, the MLS package with Apple TV has totally flipped traditional broadcast rights on its head. It's way different now. 
I just hope we don't have to watch too much sports on Twitter because I got to admit, I'm nearly done with Twitter. I'm nearly done with social media. It is very exhausting. I, I actually look, I, you know what it's become to me? Boring and predictable. Yeah. Like same, it's same not jokes over. Like, and over. I, I think my brain is actually like, I'm not giving you any dopamine for this now. Yeah. Like it's just because it does, because you just see the same old, same old stuff mm-hmm. over yeah. and over again. It's kind of like, yeah, I know how this is going to play out. And, and things aren't making me laugh. Also, this like will make me sound to. like an old man, but I feel like a, a younger generation has really started to take the forefront of all the big tweets. And like, I would say, like fifty percent of the major things that go around Twitter now, I don't get them. I don't, I don't like, understand. I don't them understand at all. what's going on. Like, is this a meme? Is this a joke? Like, I'm not even. Yeah. I'm still 38. Like, I'm not that old. But, but you know what? I see these tweets. And I'm like, I don't get this. I also feel like who's this targeted to? You young people, you want it? You can have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just take it. Like yeah. honestly, I, 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 I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Because I was looking at how little I've tweeted. Yeah. Um, and, and I threw one out yesterday. I threw one out something about the Canuck line combinations, right? And I'm fine with that. Um, you know, even though you get like some overly aggressive responses sometimes. Like, what is Pearson even doing in your lineup, you moron? I'm like, I just, you know, it's just some line combinations, I right? Just, like, I just tweeted And you just picture. get tired of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's exactly. I think you just get tired of it. But I, I'm sure with Canucks season starting, I'll, I'll be kind of back into it again. But um, I, I just wonder, I mean, we're talking about where things are going. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a social media fatigue that people start to have? Or yeah, is it so ingrained now that there's no stopping it? Uh, I think, I, I don't know if there'll ever be a fatigue because it always seems like a new platform arises to carry the day. And I mean day, literally, because they don't have a ton of shelf life. Like I, I've read a lot of stuff about how uh, none of the youths actually really pay attention to Twitter anymore because they find it for the olds. Right. Like Twitter is almost- well, what's Facebook then? I don't know. It's for your grandparents? The lizard people, mostly. Yeah. yeah. Scams. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Scams. Reconnecting, that's go. reconnecting with girls from high school who are selling Tupperware, that kind of thing. I don't know if... Um, I don't know if there'll ever be the fatigue because there'll always be a new platform for people to honestly... And it's really all it is it comes down to is people having the amplification of their voice. Mm. Like, for example, this lunatic in the, in the Dunbar, number, Dunbar Lumber text message in basket is now he had his voice heard. Not only did he text in, he got interaction. Now he he's, got his, he's he got, got his text read on air, and we're still reading him. That is, he's got to take on Star Wars and Avatar now. I don't know where that went. Yeah, so I mean, it's a little. I like this guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, he doesn't, like them. he doesn't like them. <laughs> oh, he doesn't like them. Right. Like, you know, yeah, Never he's, mind. He's not. He's not a fan. Not for me. Yeah. So he's, you see, you see, this guy who's texting in. Um, is smarter than all of us, and he yeah. wants us to love. He wants us to know that we're suckers. Mm-hmm. That like society is playing us, but not him. No, not him. He won't fall. He's going to start pushing truth social soon. Yeah, this Par- is hot new app, guys. You know, <laughs> if you guys tried Parlor, you could get on there real easy right now. Okay, we got to go to break. Cue. We're back up. Ag- we're up against it for time again. Shockingly, uh, Frank Cervalli is going to join us next. For some NHL talk, so don't go anywhere. Keep it right here. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Seven thirty-six on a Thursday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. 
Halford and Brown for the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff going to join us in just a second. Uh, before he does, can you tell the folks about this this brand new shiny renovated studio, the Kintec Footwear Studio? Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, joining us now, as mentioned, our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm good. I really like that ad read. Nice, deep voice you had there. That was good, wasn't it? I'm recovering from a cold, so I have my best voice right now, Frank. Uh, that's imp- I mean, for someone that routinely gets made fun of for their voice on social media, like it's something that I can control. I'm, I'm quite envious. Hey, there's a lot going on in and around the league right now. I almost want to start with the Canucks just because this is your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 and everything, but I know that you're, you've covered the Philadelphia Flyers organization throughout the past rather closely. You're familiar with the inner workings of the team and the market. And now I kind of, yesterday I said that I think they might have the most tire fire potential in the NHL. This was after I heard that Couturier was going to be out six to eight weeks and could miss even more time. And then this morning, the general manager, Chuck Fletcher, comes forward and says that they're expecting that Ryan Ellis is going to miss the entire year as well. I feel like this isn't a great start to the John Tortorella era in Philly, Frank. No, and the players right now are probably agreeing with you. I've seen some video clips from the opening of training camp this morning, and I think each practice started out with these guys getting bag skated for 45 minutes, which... Uh, is quite interesting. They said the camp would be difficult, and it is, uh, but a tough start, as you mentioned, for the Flyers in general. Um, and I've really done some digging on the Ryan Ellis story in the last few days, and it's actually a pretty sad one. The Flyers uh, releasing some info this morning to shed some light on exactly what's going on. The first uh, details that we've received on Ryan Ellis after only playing four games last year, and he has a torn psoas muscle in his core. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, P-S-O-A-S, uh, I've never heard of the muscle or the injury before. It took the Flyers a long time to even figure out what was wrong, identify and diagnose. And it's been even harder to treat because it's a muscle that runs from your lower spine through your hip. It's not only incredibly difficult to access, but it's even more difficult to surgically repair. And so the likelihood in all likelihood is that Ryan Ellis's career is over, but I, you know, I've seen the response on social media from fans and I understand um, they're unhappy. He only played four games with the team before sustaining the injury and it's just unlucky. And I, I actually feel a lot for Ryan Ellis. Yes. He has, five years and $30 million remaining on his deal. But by all accounts, his ability to live a normal life off the ice has been impacted, can barely lift his leg. Um, and he's just in general had a really tough time. So uh, sometimes, you know, you never really know what a player is going through and to get some insight today, it's, it's been tough to hear. You know, when I look back on Torts' short stint with the Vancouver Canucks, it only lasted a year. But it was kind of officially the end of 
an era. It was the end of the the 2011 team era. And mm-hmm. right before he was fired, he did a very honest press conference. And he was absolutely right when he said, the core here is stale. Things need to change. It's not 2011 anymore. I wonder if something similar might happen in Philly. Like there will just be a massive churn, massive overturn of the roster there. And the John Tortorella era, although maybe he doesn't last three, four, five years, it just represents a change, like a big change of things in Philly. I mean, I can understand why someone would want that if you're a Flyers fan. But what I don't understand is where do you go next? Like, it's not like they have some burgeoning pipeline of prospects. A lot of the guys that were picked through the patient or certainly more patient Ron Hextall era, um, you know, some of them have panned out. Some of them have not. Uh, some of them have moved on already to other places like a Nolan Patrick. Um, like he was a number two overall pick and was supposed to be one of the real key pieces for this team. There's so many question marks about some of the guys that were also high picks on that team, a Travis Konechny or an Ivan Provorov. Joel Farabee seems to be a pretty good player, but we're not entirely sure how good. Um, there's there's questions here, and, and who do you turn it over to? Like That's the biggest one that I, I don't have an answer for. If you want to try and overhaul your roster, that's fine. The Flyers were already touting this morning at training camp that they're likely to have 10 players on their roster that are 25 and under. They're selling the youth movement already. Um, but this is a team that last year was expected to compete and and be part of a, a team knocking on the door of the NHL's Final Four. To go from that to 14 or 16 months later now paring it down is uh, the only thing that's close to that that I can remember is like the Ottawa Senators after they went from the Matt Shane trade to totally rebuilding. It is kind of funny that in the flat cap environment, tearing it down is easier said than done because you're going to be left with some contracts that you just cannot move unless you pay something to get rid of them. And if your expectations aren't that high for the season anyway, why would you pay prospects or futures to get rid of contracts? But I guess the counter argument to that is because you got to move on at some point. Well, and you want to try and get as high of a pick as possible. Like you would hope to be trying to limit your talent that's on the ice so that you can be in line for one of those top three picks this year, which by all accounts, any one of those three players might be a stud. We're speaking to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Frank, I know you were so on can earlier. I, can I ask you guys a quick question? You can absolutely about ask us a question. You mentioned the, um, the short tenure. And, like, I'm just watching his training camp unfold here. And for the last week, it's been, you know, an ad nauseum series of stories about how difficult this training camp was going to be. And I'm like, I'm watching these players getting bag gated on, on morning one. And I'm like, what's the point of this? Like, does that stuff sell? Is it like, is it, is it for marketing purposes of I'm a, like, I'm a tough coach to play for and my team's going to be tough to play against or like, like this is 2022, like players arrived in shape like this, a shouldn't be that difficult and B, what point are you proving? It's funny because we're having kind of the opposite conversation with Bruce Boudreaux. And, of course, we haven't seen a Bruce Boudreaux training camp here in Vancouver because he joined the team partway through the season. Uh, Travis Green had tough training camps. I think Bruce Boudreaux is going to go about things a little bit differently here. 
Um, he's not going to try and punish the players in a bag skate. He's going to try and continue the good vibes from last season. Um, he's going to get right into, you know, he's talking about like the, the lines you're going to see, the forward line combinations you're going to see um, on day one of training camp. That could very well be what we see on, on the first day of the season. We're not going to, we're not going to mess around with, with the, with this kind of like hard training camp and weird line combinations. We're going to just get down to business right away. So to your question, Frank, um, what does it prove or what does it mean or what's the result? I think we saw last year is that Travis Green probably had the most infamous bag skate of the last few years when Ole Levy couldn't make it through and then collapsed in the corner and that went viral and the images went viral. In the end, no Sounds good. Like yeah, right? Like no good came of it. It wasn't good for you, Levy. It didn't seem to reflect very well on Travis Green because people were saying, is this just an archaic method of making sure that someone looks like crap at the end of it. That is a part of it. It's a flex. That's what it feels like. And I feel like players see, like, they're too smart. They see right through it. Right. And, I I mean, everyone's done them before, whether it's in PE class or you're trying out for a team. Or wherever it is in the minors. Like, you've all been there. It's a tried and true coaching staple that also is, I think, maybe misguided as inherent competition, right? Whoever survives this, they're going to show me something that the one that doesn't doesn't but at the same time you look at it and you're like well what is the big point because no one's coming into camp uh like eating a donut and smoking a dart like everyone's ready to go and ready to end it and they're healthy guys just to, just to push back on this on the other hand though like when john tortorella um uh, he's had a lot of teams that have played really hard for him those columbus teams played really hard for him the rangers teams played really hard for him so clearly there's something he does that does affect the battle level of the team. And I'm sure there's a lot of Flyers fans that are watching what's happening at camp today and going, good, you guys have been too soft, hard enough. It's sure. time to play like the Philadelphia Flyers again. And I don't I don't doubt but that. I'd just be curious to know like what the bag skate. It feels like out of a movie, though. Like, what, like, <laughs> like, like sort of half Rocky training, uh, remember the Titans. Like, like what? Like, okay, I, I get, yes, John Tortorella's teams play hard, but – I, it feels like part of it's for show, I guess, the way that it Probably. was super hyped up yeah. heading into the into it's, training it's camp. It's the miracle. It's a scene for miracle, right? Herb Brooks yelling at the guys to again, 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 and we'll be here till sunlight, right? And and it is. There, there's that part of it's it's folklore and it's mystique and it's magic and it's drama, all those things. But well, you could say like we're we're trying to train you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sure, you know there there are. There, I, I get it. I don't know if. I don't know if I would do it, but this is what Torts does, right? And whether you agree with it or not, I mean, there was no bigger critic of John Torrell in Vancouver than me. I think he was a horrible fit for a veteran team that was just a few seasons off from, you know, winning back-to-back President's Trophies. For a team that hasn't had success, though, for a team that needs an identity, I think there still is a place in the game for Torts. I'd be curious to see what it's like, especially after he went some time not behind a bench again between his stint in Columbus, goes to TV, and, and now the Flyers. The the real common thread, though, I think, and it's great to have that team toughness, but between the last few Columbus teams and now this Flyers team is is really a lack of skill. And maybe when you have a lack of skill, this is the only thing you can hang your hat on is your work ethic. But... I don't know that it's going to get this team over the hump and into the playoffs. 
Uh, Frank, I do want to ask you about uh, what we, you discussed earlier in the week with the People Show with Sat and Dan talking about uh, the Bull Horvat contract negotiations. Uh, you threw it out there that you believe that the Canucks came forth with an initial offer that started with a five, which would be reasonably close to the money that Horvat's making on his current deal. Um, I d- can't imagine there's been a ton of updates in what the 48 hours that have transpired since then. But maybe for the listeners that aren't fully up to speed, can you give us an encapsulation and then where you kind of see negotiations being currently and then where they might go? Because the first preseason game for the Canucks, of course, is on Sunday. Yeah, it's coming up in a hurry. Um, and I'd imagine this will be addressed uh, at some point as camp opens. But yeah, the the update, and I, I don't think anything's new. Obviously, these things can change in a hurry, and that's definitely why I put some caution and context to it, because to go from where the Canucks were with JT Miller to then and not being in the same ballpark to getting a deal done, like it just takes one phone call. And so um, I, I do think there's been more friction here. I think the reason there was less with JT Miller was because it was like, okay, like I'll just go out and if you're not going to pay me, like I, I know someone will, I know the teams uh, that have, you know, uh, I guess vaguely expressed interest uh, in trading for him that he knew he was going to get a bag and not to say that that won't happen with Bo Horvat, because I do think there's a, a number of teams around the league that, you know, really place a ton of value on all the things that he does really well and rightfully so. But, you know, the Canucks, I think with their initial volley, I think it created some friction that it'll be interesting to watch this play out. Like it was, you know, I don't, I'm not, I haven't talked directly to Bo Horvat, but I think the, the response was something like, if, if that's really what you think, like, let's like, why, like, what are we doing here? And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see where this goes from here. Can it change quickly? Of course. Um, I don't know. I, I, it was. It's going to be interesting to watch this all unfold. I'll say that. Uh, Kyle Dubas is heading into this season on the final year of his deal as general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can you handicap his chances of still being the Leafs general manager the following season? I would love to do so, but I think that would be a fool's errand because it feels like to me the way that the Leafs have presented this allowing publicly Kyle Dubas to walk into the final year of his deal and their lack of playoff success previously that it feels like they've almost set him up to be the body on the tarmac if they don't achieve significant more success this season and perhaps after you know yet another you know season of falling short that's to be expected but I don't know. I I look at this and I see him heading into the final year of his deal. I look at the way that their situation has been managed. The second highest points percentage in the league in the regular season over the last two years. One of those teams, you know, pretty consistently the last few years of being in that top five team conversation of, of true and authentic Stanley Cup contenders, a team that took the Tampa Bay Lightning, who made it to the final, the second best team in the league to the seventh game and and had a series lead. Uh, The disappointment has been there, no question. But to place that on Kyle Dubas, who's had to manage a a flat cap pandemic world where the Leafs have been damaged by that probably more than any other team, given the contracts that were on their books, 
I think he's navigated it quite well. All that really does is make 31 other teams salivate at the possibility of getting Kyle Dubas on the back end of it. Because I can tell you right now, there's a number of teams that I know of that at this very moment would fire their GM into the sun in order to get their hands on Kyle Dubas. That's a fact. It's reality. And to go into this season and allow him to have to allow that to be a story, I don't know that it makes much sense. Um, but I'm here for the drama and however this plays out. Like what? Obviously, they haven't had playoff success. So you could say fire the GM because they haven't had play, playoff success. Fine, but if you were to dig a, just even a tiny bit deeper, what do you think would be the main criticism? of Kyle Dubas. Like, what do you think he's done wrong? You could say he's overpaid some of his star players. Like he should have negotiated harder with Mitch Marner, or maybe he should never have signed John Tavares, or he should have figured out his goaltending situation better. Is there one thing that you can look at honestly and be like, Kyle Dubas did not do this well? Well, I don't think it's all that different than any other GM in that not every single button you push is is going to be the right one. There are going to be mistakes that are made, and you can find those in just about any tenure with any GM. I I tend to think of their defense as sort of, you know, what's held them back at times. Um, not only do they not have a true number one defenseman, but I think they really lacked depth for a while. I think they've tried to address it in a number of different ways. Uh, some of which have been successful. Let's see now with some of the younger guys, if they can get Sandine signed, if Liljegren can get healthy, you know, what kind of push they can make on this roster. The goaltending is a, it's a huge gamble this year to place a bet with this roster and that scoring on these two goalies and Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. But some of those other contracts and a lot of the criticism that comes with that, like think about when all of those were signed by normal circumstance, the cap at this point would be somewhere around 90 to $93 million. No one was banking on being in a flat cap environment. So how do you criticize them for that when by now we wouldn't be talking about it? Frank, this was great, bud. Thanks a lot for doing it. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Thursday. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Frank Sarelli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Brush on Sportsnet 650. Yes. Do you know who might be the Leafs' fourth line center? Adam Gaudet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was doing it's a bit tough of, to fill out your roster, man. I was doing a bit of the research, as the kids like to call it. They don't call it that. Do Yesterday, your research. Um, the Leafs' story right now, with all the media. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but many outlets cover the Toronto Maple Leafs with great enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of content to parse through. The overriding theme, the narrative that's being pushed by big media <laughs> is that the Leafs have chosen to make Kyle Dubas a lame duck general manager yeah. by not even entering negotiations on an extension heading into year five of his five-year contract. And it's, it's prove-it time that Kyle Dubas's future will be decided solely <laughs> on whether this team has any playoff success or not. That's the big story. For, that's the angle, right? Everyone is positing it as that is um, – if they wanted to make the commitment, they would have. That's MLSE and the Brass mm. and Shanahan, but they didn't. If they wanted to keep them aboard, they could have done it before the season, but they didn't. It's prove it time. From the player perspective, everything is about Austin Matthews this year. Everything. How soon can they get him signed to an extension? The answer is next summer. If they lose in the playoffs, how much will that affect that decision? Next summer. Right. 
Uh, is he going to be able to follow up on last year's unbelievable season? And if he does, would he get paid? There was They were throwing around the question, like, if he was eligible to sign an extension right now, right. would he? I'm like, but he's not. Like, <laughs> he can't do that. It doesn't matter. The team but could he, go up. He's going to get the bump in the cap, right? Yeah, and there's two schools of thought. One is that he says, you know what, we got a great thing going here. I'm playing with my buddies. I'm playing for an original six team. People love me in Toronto. I'm a great yeah. player. Maybe I'll just stay. My stuff's already here. And the other one is I can really make some money next time around. Because if he goes to market. You don't think the Leafs would pay him that, though? I think he would. Couldn't? But I think anyone would. Yeah. So at that point, it's like you just choose lifestyle. I saw a quote where he said Toronto feels like home now. Yeah, I'm not. I, you know, it was. I've I've saw a couple stand-ups yesterday where they were saying if he, you know, if he did have this yeah. hypothetical in front of him, he'd stay. So much will have to depend on what the Leafs do this season. He'll be eligible to sign that contract extension next summer. He's got two years left yep. on his deal. Um, you know, your feelings about a place can change overnight. Oh, yeah. Look at Johnny Gaudreau. They were ready to buy a house in Calgary. Yeah. Now he lives in Columbus. Look at John Tavares, right? I, I think when if you had handicapped the like the year before he did sign that deal with Toronto, I think most people assumed, yeah, he might negotiate with the Islanders and maybe he, he'll even test the waters in free agency, but he's probably going to stay with the Islanders. And then something tipped over, right? Maybe even during that whole interview period that he had with the Leafs, he's like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's make a change. I think the one mistake that a lot of people make is that uh, they think that these players and coaches and general managers always know, like they have their five-year plan and they see where they want to be in 10 years. And like, they really don't, except for anyone who plays for Winnipeg, because anyone who plays for Winnipeg wants out of Winnipeg. The plans don't apply to Winnipeg. Yeah, You just take it day by day and then you're like, I wants to leave. Like we kind of saw that coming, but it wasn't a plan. Okay, um, eight o'clock hour. We're gonna do what we learned. We're gonna talk to David Lennon from Newsday about the New York Yankees specifically. I know it's a shocker. Aaron Judge, who is having a historic season with the pinstripes. We'll get into all that next. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet, six fifty.